Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you all again today. I can't remember the last time I came. It was, I think, sometime in the late spring, April or May, something along those lines. But it's good to be with you all again. If, you, if we've never met, which is the majority of you, I'm J.R. Foster. I serve campus ministry called RUF, Reform University Fellowship. Many of you are probably aware of it. Uh, I serve RUF as an area coordinator. Uh, so I get to uh, oversee some of the RUFs, um, well, all of the RUFs in my area, some of the RUFs across the country, and it's a privilege to, to do so and to serve in that way. Uh, our text, as you can see, is uh, Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, just a couple verses this morning. If you would turn there. Before I read the text, though, this morning I, I want I want you to know that what I'd like to communicate to you, I want to talk to you about your conversations, okay, your conversations, but not the kind of conversations that you might have before or after the service with people uh, or at work or in your dorm or on the phone even. Uh, I want to talk to you about the conversations that you have with yourself, particularly the conversations that go on between your ears. So, in talking about conversations about, that you have with yourself, it's not the conversations that you might embarrassingly catch yourself having, you know, cleaning up the kitchen or in the shower, those audible conversations you have with yourself. I'm not talking about that kind of conversation with yourself. I want to talk about the ones that you have in your mind. Maybe about other people. Maybe about some circumstance that you face in particular. Last week, uh, Jeff preached about living in unity with one another in the peace of Christ and letting go of the life you want in order to receive the life that Christ gives. That's the series theme for Philippians. In order to do that, you must strive for unity and peace in Jesus. In other words, that peace that he spoke about, that the passage spoke about last week, that peace is part of the life that Christ gives to believers. But we all know that that kind of unity and peace is much easier said than done. And it's here where those internal conversations come into play, those conversations that you have between your ears. Our minds are the place where things like disunity and anxiety can get their initial foothold. Our minds are the place where destructive conversations have a way of sort of rooting themselves into our heart, and they color, those conversations color the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about others, the way that we think about the circumstances that we're facing. Left unchecked, those conversations, they are among our greatest threats to unity and peace in the body of Christ. Eventually, left unchecked, they will bear rotten fruit, not only in the church, but in other aspects of our lives as we act out on, what, on those conversations going on inside our head. In his book, Spiritual Depression, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones 
says this. You can find it in your bulletin. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Again, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Those are helpful words, weighty words, but very helpful to us. Lloyd-Jones describes for us what I mean about these conversations that we have that are going on uh, in our minds. Too often we listen rather than talk. We listen too often to the destructive conversations rather than proactively talking into those conversations. As we look at our text this morning in Philippians, I I want us to learn what it means to talk to ourselves and what that looks like rather than to listen. It It can have a profound impact not only on your thoughts, but on your actions as well. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, and this is God's Word, and it's our rule for faith and for life. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Let's pray and ask His blessing on our word, or our time in His word. Father, uh, be near to us now, we pray. May we delight in and meditate upon the Word of God this morning, and in doing so, may we be as trees planted by streams of water. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So, I live up the road in Greenville. Uh, we've, we've lived there, my family and I have lived there since 2010. We love our home. Uh, But one of its shortcomings is that it doesn't let in a whole lot of natural light. We have a lot of oak trees around us. That certainly doesn't help. But it doesn't let in a lot of natural light. And to help, we like to open our front door. We've got one of those storm doors that's just all glass or whatever it's made out of. But then we open that door, and so it allows us to let in some some of that natural light. As you can imagine... Our dog is a big fan of, of this practice of ours, okay? She, leaving the door open enables her to, to watch what's going, out, what's going on outside in the, in the front yard in, in her domain. And from that faithful position there at the front door, she sees her, her job as a sentinel, a sentinel with a keen eye and a lot of times a bad attitude, okay? It can be kids running through our yard, running down the street, workers just making an honest living outside somewhere in the neighborhood. 
wild and domestic animals going across the front of our house, she alerts us to them all. She takes very seriously her job as a sentinel, as a guard, as a watchdog for our land, for our property. I share this illustration with you because I want you to think of your mind in a similar way. Your mind is a sentinel. It is a guard, not for your home, but for your heart. This isn't an original thought. The 17th century Puritans, uh, were, they believed that the mind was the watchman of the soul. They taught that the mind stands sentinel at the front door of our soul. On whatever the mind dwells, our affections will latch themselves onto, and then our wills uh, will act upon. The mind, in other words, is the first line of defense for the Christian uh, against the, the three great enemies of the believer, the world, the devil, and the flesh. The mind then plays a key role in the life of the believer, even as Paul says to us here. To live on earth as citizens of heaven, to receive the life that God gives, one of unity and peace within the body of Christ, we have to take seriously the role that the mind plays as our affections and our wills have a way of following its lead. Contrary to what we think then, the conversations that we have inside our head between our ears, they are anything but benign. They are anything but harmless. When asleep at the post, the mind allows bitterness, anger, lust, discouragement, and everything like it to take hold and bear fruit in our actions. As Dr. Frank Thielman puts it, again, I refer you to your bulletin. He says, Our thinking and our actions then are closely bound together, indulging evil thoughts and sloppy thinking, and tolerating sloppy thinking can have terrible consequences. Therefore, in these couple of verses, the Apostle Paul gives us directions as we live for Jesus, telling us to think and to act as the citizens of heaven that we are in Christ. To think and to act as the citizens of heaven that we are in Christ. First, we think. We think as citizens of heaven, as, as followers of Jesus. You ever notice that the more that you watch the news, the more you are consumed by it? Whether your news comes from a newspaper or an app, whether it comes from a 24-hour news network uh, or social media, it's easy for your mind to, to be consumed by the news. We've all been there at some point. I mean, we all find ourselves at time watching a, a news program or reading a series of tweets, and we only become fired up to the point that, that we actually have a physical reaction to what our minds are dwelling on in that tweet or in that, that program that we watched. Our blood pressure literally spikes as a result of what we've been dwelling on. 
This illustrates how the mind, how powerful the mind is, and how it works and, and finds itself, uh, its fruition is in our, in our actions, in our bodies, in what we do. You cannot be a citizen of heaven and feed your mind at every turn with thoughts of earth. Paul tells us here to think differently. If we want unity, if we want the ever-elusive peace of God in our lives, then we must train our minds to dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think. He commands, think about these things, Paul says. A couple of qualities about this thinking. One quality of thinking in this way is how all-encompassing it is. Right? He says, whatever, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. Then he, then he has a couple times where he says, if there is any, if there is any. As he does this, Paul, I think, paints a, a vast landscape of admirable meditations, of, of things that are worthy to be dwelling on. I, I think his point here isn't so much for us to focus on each individual feature of this vast landscape, it, but it's, it's simply to appreciate the vastness of it, of all the things on which our minds should dwell. How all-encompassing the call is to fill our minds with that which is right and good. A few years ago, my family and I took a trip out west to, the, um, to three of the western national parks including Yellowstone National Park. And despite all of the wonders of, of Yellowstone, all the individual wonders of Yellowstone, the Old Faithful and the Grand Prismatic Spring and the Yellowstone River and the, the, land, the, uh, the, the animals, the, 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 the bison, the, the bears, uh, the, the elk, despite all those individual wonders, what left me in awe were the vast landscapes of a world just untouched by man. In, in standing atop a ridge and overlooking Hayden or Lamar Valleys, it struck me that I was looking at something that Sacagawea and Lewis and Clark might have looked at in this very state. Its beauty, its vastness left an indelible impression on me. Similarly here, Paul covers every nook and cranny of where the mind could dwell, and he commands us to dwell on whatever is right and good. The overall impression he gives is, is that nothing good is to be excluded from the mind's uh, thoughts, from the mind's meditations. If it's true and honorable, if it's just and pure, if it's holy and commendable, if it's excellent, it is worthy of the mind's dwelling. That's how all-encompassing it is. It's a Yellowstone National Park. There's a vast landscape of goodness 
to meditate upon. And Paul urges us, urges us, commands us to dwell on it. It's worth uh, noting here a second quality of our thinking as citizens. The the first quality was how all-encompassing it is, but the second is how proactive it should be. It's not just that we are to avoid uh, uh, godless, worldly thinking. It's not that we're just to avoid that. Instead, we are to think proactively about uh, these godly qualities. As he so often does, Sinclair Ferguson helps us here. Uh, He says it so well uh, in your bulletin, or I believe probably on the screen as well. In our modern world, where many people seek freedom from anxiety by trying to empty their minds, Paul teaches us that true peace can be ours only when our minds are properly filled. So we might paraphrase Ferguson by saying it's not only an emptying that Paul commands, but even more so a filling. Because a mind that is filled leaves little room for anything else. And so we are to be proactive in this sort of thinking that Paul puts before us here in Philippians. Now, I should say that um, Paul is not expecting us here to live as mental hermits, as, as sort of monastics, who, removes our, who remove ourselves entirely from, you know, from the world in some sort of Christian, mental Christian isolation. Paul has said elsewhere to the church in Corinth, he, he said that he didn't expect us as Christians to leave the world and our associations with the world. As we live as Christians in the world, we can consider whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, holy, and commendable. Whatever it is in the world that falls in that category, we ought to dwell on those things. It, it could be in art and sports. It could be in, in, in relationships and work, in government and academia. Wherever we run into what is true and what is honorable, and whatever is just, and the rest, wherever we run into it, if there is any excellence in it, it's worthy of our thinking. For all truth, all beauty, all excellence, all goodness, all of it is God's. Of course, the the kingdom of God is not just about thought, but it's also about action. Therefore, we not only think as citizens of heaven, as followers of Jesus, we act as citizens and followers as well. Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. If we are to let go of the life that we want in order to receive the life that Christ gives to us, a life of unity and peace, we must not only think as citizens of heaven and followers of Jesus, but we must act. It begins with our sentinel, with our minds, but of course it continues with our actions. 
You know, most of us here, I, I think it's safe to say, most of us here are Clemson fans. Uh, and as Clemson fans, we represent our team with our, with our team colors and the way that we dress and the way that we act, right? We don't show up to the games wearing the other team's colors and cheering their cheers. That would be at odds with who we are as, as, as Clemson fans. We wear orange and we chant CLEM in cadence count because that's what Tiger fans do. To remind you of the vows that you took in joining this church, or maybe, maybe you're not a member of this church, but maybe your, your home church, if you're a Presbyterian, you have vowed these vows that you, would, you promise to live as becomes a follower of Christ. In other words, you vow to live in a way that is consistent with being a believer in Christ. You don't show up to the game wearing the other team's colors, in other words. So together, in thinking and then in acting as citizens of heaven, as followers of Jesus, the God of peace will be with you, Paul says. Friends, that is no easy call on our lives. It's simple, right? No, it's to think and to act. It's anything but simple to live. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, in fact. It, it needs the power of another work at work in us to think and to act. It takes He who indwells the followers of Jesus to empower us to live in this way. This circles back actually to, to last week and, and the importance of prayer which uh, Jeff preached. Given to our own strength, we cannot do what God would have us do here. We can't, we can't do something as simple as to think and to act as followers of Jesus on our own. It takes He who indwells us those conversations that we have with ourselves, they are just simply too strong. They, they can easily overcome our own determination and our own grit and, and muscle. We need the Holy Spirit for such a time as this, empowering us to listen less to ourselves and to talk more to ourselves. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable. We need the Spirit. This principle to think and to act as citizens of heaven, it applies not just within church relationships as we seek unity and peace in the body of Christ. That's certainly the context of this passage and is certainly applicable to, to this church, to Clemson Prez. But this, this principle it's really true of all of life, this thinking and acting and the need of the Spirit. Consider, you know, consider the thorns that you have in your side, thorns that are always just jabbing you, thorns that are just poking you, it seems. You, you just can't loose yourself of them. A gossiping tongue. Harsh speech. A fantasizing mind. 
a melancholy spirit, an arrogant heart. Consider the role your sentinel, your mind, plays in your struggle with these thorns that you have. And that's just a few. When you find yourself one day you know, despising another person, I guarantee you, you did not just wake up that way. You allowed your mind to dwell on some, uh, on some hurt, some injustice that brought you to the point of hatred toward that person. And your actions followed. Or on the flip side, when you one day find yourself despising yourself, I also guarantee you, you did not just wake up one day feeling that way about yourself. You allowed your mind to dwell on some self-deprecating talk that brought you to that point. And your actions followed. Friends, you must pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to strengthen you. To empower you in your weakness, beginning with your mind. Look to others in the body of Christ to help you along the way. You need not only the Spirit, you also need Jesus Himself. Remember Paul's words? They've become famous. Famous words uh, earlier in the letter in Philippians chapter 2. There he said, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. By taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." As Mike mentioned earlier, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's standard for us. The sentinel of our mind, it often falls asleep and we end up acting as those who are citizens of the world instead of heaven. You must know that Jesus came for such sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It is not the well who need a physician. It is the sick who need Him. He came for you. The Gospels record for us that Jesus Himself was tempted as we are. And there's two notable occasions that are recorded for us in the Gospel where Jesus is tempted. One in the desert when He was tempted by the devil. Another time when he, the night before his crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, and on both occasions, in this moment of temptation, the sentinel, the watchman of his mind, remained firm. He would not stray, for his mind was set on the Father's word and will for him in those moments. He did this for you who fail, who fall short of the glory of God. He did it both in His thoughts and in His actions. His life 
and death are yours to receive as your own through faith. A few days ago, I was, I was exercising, and in particular, I was doing something called interval training. I don't know if you know what interval training is, but interval training is a type of exercise where there are periods of short, intense exercise, followed then by a period of recovery. So, for instance, you might ride a stationary bike for 30 seconds at a pretty high clip, pretty, you know, a good amount of effort, 80% of your effort. And then you take 30 seconds of more of a recovery pace. And then you do that for 30 minutes. Okay, that would be an example of a simple example of interval training. Well, a few days ago, I'm doing this interval training, and it has a one-minute rest uh, in it in between the periods of the harder activity. And, and so I'm, I'm doing, I'm exercising, uh, and I have no one else with me. I'm doing it. I'm just, I have a clock to keep me accountable. So there's no one else reminding me the time or anything like that. After my period of activity, uh, my mind, during my minute of rest, my mind gets distracted. Uh, I don't even remember what it was about, but I'm in a completely other world. And literally, it was just like one of these things, oh yeah, I'm exercising. I look down, I'm, like, I'm well past my minute of rest, uh, and I'm, I'm supposed to be into this next interval of activity. Friends, if you're not careful and proactive with your mind, you can look up one day and find yourself in another world of temptation and sin and destruction. Your mind serves as a sentinel, a watchman of your soul. What goes on between the ears is anything but harmless. If you do not strive proactively to hold its attention, you can quickly find yourself lost in another world. Empowered by the Spirit, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, there's anything worthy of praise, friends, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things. And the God of peace, He will be with you. Please pray with me. Our Father, I've just uh, said we need the Spirit, and so we will pray even now for Your Spirit, Your Spirit that indwells those who believe. May Your Spirit empower us in our weakness. Strengthen us who are feeble-hearted, who are weak-kneed, Strengthen us by Your Spirit to think, to act as followers of Jesus, as citizens of heaven. For we pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.